0: Welcome to the Horizon Church Podcast. Thanks for joining us. Our mission as a church is to win people to Jesus Christ, disciple people in Jesus Christ, and send people for Jesus Christ. If you'd like to learn more or partner with us, simply go to horizon.org. We hope this episode encourages you in your walk with Jesus as you continue to grow in his love and truth.
1: Good, good morning church, how we doing? All right, if we haven't met before, my name is Steve Armendaris, and uh, always blessed when Pastor Bob asks me to share God's Word with us. Uh, You know, I think he was thinking a few days back when uh, he's like, oh, next weekend, Valentine's Day weekend, I'm going to have four different talks. And he puts in a lot of time and effort and energy to prepare for one, and now he's got to prepare for four. To deliver next week. And so I'm so looking forward to that with he and uh, Bonnie and encourage you to make plans to come four different messages Friday, Saturday, and then two on Sunday. So it'll be a different message for each service. But uh, um, if you have your Bibles, open up to Job, the book of Job and um, ushers are in the aisle if you'd like a copy of God's word to read along with us. We'll also have the verses up on the screen uh, this morning. Um, but let's just take a moment and ask God's blessing on our time. Father, we thank you for your goodness and for your grace and for your love. Lord, we're thankful for the rain that comes down, and Lord, as the rain is falling, it's a light mist, really, we would just pray that there would be a downpour in this room, a downpour of the Holy Spirit. May the hand of heaven, Lord, just fall upon this place. Lord, may uh, you lift hearts, may you touch and bring healing and comfort, Lord, and be it here in the chapel or online, may your life be made evident. And so, Holy Spirit, come and bless the teaching of your word. We ask it now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You know, of the book of Job, renowned novelist Victor Hugo, anyone recognize that name? He's a guy that uh, wrote Les Miserables. Hunchback of Notre Dame, uh, Les Miserables is the only musical that I've actually ever enjoyed in my entire life. And, um, but man, that story is so powerful. But Victor Hugo said this, he said, uh, he, he once suggested that if all of the world's literary efforts were to be destroyed, and he could save but a solitary sample when he's got some good ones, so what's he going to save? If he can only save one book, which one would it be? He said it would be the book of Job. And, you know, this is a book that when I read it, if I read the first chapter, I am telling you, it has happened, I can't stop. Hours later, I find myself in chapter 42. It's just one of those things, if you read chapter 1, you just have to go through it. And if you've never read the book of Job in its entirety, well, you have a homework assignment for this week. It is... Profound and, and, and it's just amazing. And um, it's an awesome book. And, and so, you know, even just looking at chapter 1, and if you want to find chapter 9, we'll be over there in, in just a moment. But in chapter 1, it just is so compelling because it gives us insight into things that we wonder about and we think about, and maybe you never have, but it really gives us some interesting insights. And so in Job chapter 1, verse 6, Now there was a day... When the sons of God, I believe that's the angels, came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. Interesting that Satan would have access to God. We wouldn't think that that would be the case. He was cast out of heaven after the fall, but he could go before God, and the Lord said to Satan, From where have you come? Where do you come? So Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro on the earth. The Bible tells us that he goes to and fro throughout the whole earth, seeking whom what? He may devour. He's a destroyer. He's a deceiver. He's a liar. Walking back and forth on it. You know, interesting to note, Satan is not omniscient. He's not omnipotent. He is not omnipresent. He can't be everywhere. He's limited. God is everywhere. People think that, you know, here's God and here's the devil. They're like co-equals, kind of battling it out. Nonsense. He's a created being. He's a fallen angel. And he's he's very much limited, but he's powerful. He's got some abilities for certain. In verse 8, Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and an upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil? So Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge around him? and around his household, and around all that he has on every side. You've blessed the work of his hands. His possessions have increased in the land. But now, stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. You know, guys, I don't believe that this side of heaven, we will fully know the blessing that comes upon those who belong to the Lord, that he puts a hedge about us, and some of you may doubt that. You question that. Well, why, if he's got a hedge around me, why am I suffering? Why am I having difficulty? Why am I having hardship? If we only knew what God keeps us from, if we only knew how God was protecting us, I think we would marvel. And so, you know, the devil's basically saying, well, the only reason that he has a heart for you is because of your blessings. But take all of those away, and he will surely curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your power. Only do not lay a hand on his person. And so after this, man, oh man, do the wheels fall off the bus. We see first and foremost that the the Sabians, these nomadic raiders come, and they take all of Job's oxen and his donkeys and they kill all of the servants and all the servants die except for one and he goes to bring the report to Job and he gives him this report. Wow, the Sabians, they came out of nowhere and and all of the oxen and all the donkeys are gone and the servants, poor servants. And just as he's finishing bringing this report to Job, Another servant comes into the door and he says, we're out there in the fields tending the sheep and fire fell from heaven and it wiped out the sheep and all the servants and I alone am the one who survived to bring you this report. And just as he's finishing, another guy comes in and he says, crazy, the Chaldeans came down and they took all the camels and killed all the servants and I alone am left to bring you this report. And just as he's finishing, the servant comes in and he says, Oh my gosh, I can't believe this. Your seven sons and your three daughters, they were at the oldest brother's house having a feast, having a party, having a good time. And a tornado came, the wind came, and it struck the four corners and the house collapsed and all of your children are dead and all of the servants are dead and I alone have survived. And the Bible says that Job arose and he tore his clothes and he said, naked I came into this world and naked I shall leave. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And in all of this, Job did not sin. Mind-blowing. He passed that test. The devil said, yeah, take away what he has and watch what happens as if Job was in it just for the good stuff. And as devastating as that would be to lose your home, your, your family, your children, your business, your wealth, all of those flocks was, were, were your livestock. That was your portfolio. That was your, your net worth in the ancient world, all gone in an instant. And not only that, but all the servants, all, all of the people who helped you to do your business, they are wiped out, off the books, gone. And yet Job maintains his integrity. And so in chapter 2, and I do really encourage you to read the whole thing in its context, it's amazing. Satan comes again later. And God says, hey, how about Job? He didn't abandon me. He didn't curse me. He didn't run away from me. He didn't, oh, skin for skin. All that a man has, he'll give up as long as everything's okay with him. But if you... If he were to suffer himself, physically, well then, he'll curse you. And God says, go ahead, you just can't take his life. And the Bible tells us there in chapter two that Job was stricken with boils from the top of his head, his entire body throughout. The horrible boils and and just nasty and that he would take broken clay pots and scrape the skin, to relieve the pressure from this horrible affliction. Can you imagine? And and Job's wife says, Dude, curse God and die. What do you have left? Now your own health. And Job replied to his wife, Shall we accept good from the Lord and not adversity And in all of these things, Job maintained his integrity and and just horrible, a loss of his wealth, a loss of his business, a loss of his children, 10 kids, seven sons, three daughters, and now his own health. And he maintains his integrity and, and you go through the chapters and his three friends show up. And they did really good for a while. They came and sat in silence for seven days. And sometimes we don't know what to say to someone who's had a tough spell. And what to do. And, and so we'll just stay away. And they did great when they sat in silence for seven days. And you don't, know, have, to, you don't have to know the right thing to say. But just being present there says a lot. And had they only stayed there in silence, because what can you say to a guy? But then they started thinking about this and seven days had passed. And then they say, you know, Job, these things, these kind of things just don't happen for no reason. So, you know, obviously there's some sin, you've blown it. And so why don't we just acknowledge that? And, you know, maybe God will be merciful and heal you from this terrible affliction and salt into the wounds for sure. And they're going at him and just, I'm telling you, he is discouraged. He knows that God is good, but man, what on earth is going on? Why is this happening? How is this happening? And they're saying, you know, hey, God is a just God. And so, you know, if we go to court and you present your case, you're going to be found guilty. So just own it and let's move on. And Job is like, I, I wish I could go to court with God. I can't. And if we jump to chapter 9, starting in verse 1, as these friends have just been going off, teeing off on him, and, dude, just own it. You blew it. You've you got hidden sin. There's something going on in your life. Then Job answered and said, truly, I know it is so. What, I know what is so. God is just. He's, he's a good God. If I can go to court plead my case, you know, I know that he's going to be found right because he doesn't mess up. He doesn't make mistakes. But then he says, truly I know it is so, but how can a man be righteous before God? If one wished to contend with him, he could not answer him one time out of a thousand. God is wise in heart, mighty in strength. Who has hardened himself against him and prospered? He moves mountains and they do not know it. He overturns them in his anger. He shakes the earth out of its place. Its pillars tremble. God is so awesome. And as Job is, is kind of walking through this process, man, as we read on in other places and previous as well as further verses, we read, we, we see that Job has a bunch of questions for God, a bunch of questions, and and one that I find really interesting, because sometimes I think that if you're in the Bible, we think, oh, you're a perfect guy, you weren't human, you were just like superhuman, man, how could someone go through something like that and and really not be bummed out or discouraged, but... The reality is the Bible has the good, the bad, and the ugly recorded in it. And look at chapter 3, verse 11. I think we actually have it up on the screens. When Job says this, Why did I not die at birth? What a question. You ever felt that way? I can tell you that in just the last week and a half, I've spoken with three families in the church whose kids have told them this very thing. And we're not talking about like college-age kids or high school-age kids or even junior-high-age kids. I'm talking about elementary school kids. I want to die. Thinking about taking their life, thinking about killing themselves. They attend our church. It's an epidemic. Depression and suicide and, and despair and hopelessness so many in our culture and our society today. And, and, and Job was there. And sometimes I think we're, on, we're, we're just afraid to be honest with God about where we're really at and what's really going on. Guys, it's not a surprise to God. He sees all he knows, all he hears, all the Bible says that God sees not only what we say, but he sees our thoughts afar off. And not only what we're thinking, He also knows why we're thinking what we're thinking and what we're planning, but not only what we're planning, but why we're planning what we're planning. His word penetrates deep to the joints, what connects things for you. He knows how you think. He knows how you operate. He knows how you arrive to the conclusion and the plans that you arrive at. And his word penetrates deep to the joints and to the marrow, deep within, into your bones, at the very core of who you are. God sees all, God knows all. And you know what, guys? It's okay to be honest with God. It's okay to be real with God. And when things suck, it's okay to say, God, stuff sucks. You know, Job has some really interesting questions, man. We could spend, uh, I'm telling you, months in this book alone. But in Job 6.6, he really answers a question that I've often wondered about. Is there any taste in the white of an egg? <laughs> and you know, you think about that, and I actually thought about that verse for quite a while. You think about that. Well, why is the egg white there? What's the point of it? And and you know, it doesn't taste like anything. We know the shell. Well, the shell's there, it's hard, it protects the egg, and, and then, but inside is this white, and you could eat it, and it's like, ah, what is it? I don't know. But it serves a purpose. And it protects the yoke. And without the white, we wouldn't have chickens. And, you know, I could spend a lot of time on this, but just to say this, there's stuff that we sometimes don't understand why it's there, but it needs to be there. And what's the point of it? I don't understand why it's there. But if it wasn't there, something else wouldn't be there. And there's things in our life, and we just, what's the point of this? And yet, you don't even realize how you're benefiting. It may not taste like anything, but it actually provides protein, and it actually, you know, it's good, and, and it holds stuff together. And there's so much stuff, I think, in our life that we just kind of, there's no point to this. Why is this happening? And Job asked that question. It's a really interesting question, but I digress, Job six, and later on in this chapter in verse 11, he says this, because he is bombed. What strength do I have that I should hope? He's lost hope, and we live in a culture, in a society in a day and age today, when people have lost hope. What strength do I have that I should hope? He had no more strength. And what is my end that I should prolong my life? There's no reason to go on. There's no reason to hope. There's no reason to persevere. Where is my flesh bronze? Is the strength? Is my strength the strength of stones? You think I'm like a rock? You think I don't feel? Is not my help within me and, and is success driven from me? It's all gone. Everything that I had is gone. And and I don't know how to get back on track here. And maybe you're here this morning and you feel that same way. I used to be in the groove and man, it's gone. In chapter 7, he goes on in verse 17. What is man that you should exalt him, that you should set your heart on him, that you should visit him every morning and test him every moment? How long, verse 19? Maybe you're here. How long? When is this season going to end? I'm I'm losing it here. I'm I'm lost here. Will you not look away from me and, and let me alone till I swallow my saliva? I mean, the guy's having trouble breathing. He's having trouble moving. Can you imagine boils head to toe all over your body. How do you sit down? How do you sleep? How do you rest? He's in despair and hopelessness. And he asks in verse 20, Have I sinned? What have I done to you, O watcher of men? Why have you set me as your target so that I'm a burden to myself? You ever feel... The bullseye is right here. Yeah. And the blows, they just keep coming. What next? Afraid to go to the mailbox. Afraid for the phone call. Afraid for the knock on the door. What's next is where Job is at. In chapter 13, verse 24, he says, why do you hide your face and regard me as your enemy? It tells me that he was looking for God. He's searching for God. The Bible tells us that All of man is seeking after God, searching for God, but because of our condition, the fallen nature, the sin, it's like we are groping about in the darkness, like blind people hoping that we find something, hoping that we could stumble into and find God. In chapter 23, verse 3, he says, Oh, that I knew where I might find him, that I might come to his seat. People are searching. People are seeking after the Lord. Maybe you are here this morning. You don't even know why you're here. God brought you here to hear his word this morning. I believe that with all of my heart. Man has been seeking after God, searching for God, wanting to to get to him. How do I get to him? And In Genesis 11, we see an amazing account after the fall and after uh, the flood and, and Noah and his descendants in the people began to multiply on the face of the earth again and there they are on the plain of Shinar and there was one common language that was given and the people all gathered together and they said, come and let us build ourselves a city and a tower whose top is in the heavens. We're going to reach the heavens. We're going to reach God. And let us make a name for ourselves lest we be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. We'll find God and we'll get up there and we'll find out that It's actually all about us anyway, and the Bible tells us that God came, and he knocked that tower, the Tower of Babel, down, and he confounded the languages, and and, uh, I personally believe that that was when there was a major calamity, when that one earth crust broke up, and the Bible says that In Job, in the days of Peleg, when the earth was divided, we think of only a couple of cataclysmic events, the flood. I believe there was just this massive breaking. Anyway, I digress. Man searching for God, but man's best effort. I'm going to build that tower to reach God. I'm going to build that bridge. and, And there's this picture that I found, and I think it's pretty cool. I think we have it. There it is. And you know, it might be my good works, and my religion. I'm going to cross this chasm. I, I need to get to God. I need to find him. I need to see where he is. I'm going to reach him through, my, through being good, through being altruistic, through denying myself. Or, and there's so many different paths that the world's religions have taken. And it's, it's wood and it's bailing wire and it's rope. And we find that there's nothing that can support that. And men will build bridges to cross gaps, but this is one where there's no foundation from earth that could ever allow us to build high enough or to support enough to reach God. And so back to Job 9, and where can I find God? And his friend's saying, yeah, well, you know, if you go to court with him, he's going to find you guilty. He's going to find you judged and so really just confess it and acknowledge it and in verse 32 he says this you know I agree he is not a man as I am that I may answer him and that we should go to court together in verse 33 this verse and I'll tell you man this verse as I was preparing just kind of jumped off and I've never really spent much time thinking about it but certainly have in this past week, nor is there any mediator between us who may lay his hand on us both. And I know we have a number of attorneys here, even now in this service. And there's no mediator between us who may lay his hand on us both. And, and I read this in the Old King James when I study. I like to read different versions and translations of the Bible. And I love what the King James Version says of Job 9.33, neither is there any daysman betwixt us that might lay his hand upon us both. Anyone ever heard that word before, daysman? In the service last night, no one. In the service this morning, one lady, rose her, she raised her hand up. I've heard of daysman. I've never heard of it before. My daughter is a pretty smart girl. She's a wordsmith, English major, working on her master's degree back in DC. and I called her this week. I said, Anastasia, have you ever heard this word daysman? She's like, nope. She's like, read everything that there is to read. And I'm like, you've never heard this word? She's like, no. I said, you know what it means? She says, oh, I don't know, like a day laborer or what? And I said, no, no. It's the word yakach in the Hebrew, and it means to be an arbiter, a mediator between. And literally what a man would do is there were two parties that were at odds, two parties that were at war, two parties that needed to come together and he'd grab the hand of one and he would grab the hand of the other and he would bring the two together. And what a beautiful picture. And Job cries out, oh, if there was a daysman betwixt us that might lay his hand hand upon us both. And guys, if you know what God's word teaches, we know that there is a daysman. In 1 Timothy chapter 2 verse 5, for there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. We call it the incarnation. It's why we celebrate Christmas. It's why we've come today to worship God, because the Bible tells us that God became a man and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten Son of God. Man in his best effort can't build that bridge, can't build the tower high enough to reach God. And so God, in his love for us, sent his only begotten Son to this earth. We couldn't go up to him. He came down to us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. God loves you. And he sent his son to forgive you and to forgive me. In this picture, I love this picture. I think of the cross in a totally different way. And here we are in our best efforts to be religious, to be good, to be acceptable in God's sight, and we're just never going to be able to jump high enough. We're never going to be able to accomplish that. God says, that's right, you can't. You're a sinner. You're separated from me. You missed the mark. You're spiritually dead. I'm going to come down, and my son will become a man, and he will live a perfect and a blameless life, and he will pay the price, the punishment of your sins when he went to the cross. And that is exactly what he did when he was nailed to the cross and one hand reaching to you and I, and one hand on heaven. And we have access. And what Job longed for, God provided. What Job hoped for, God provided. What Job believed for, God provided. Believed for? Yes, he did. You see, we kind of look back at the Incarnation. We kind of look back at Christmas, and it's like, oh, thank God he did that. But imagine in Job's situation, in his condition, his life. It didn't happen yet. But by faith, he saw it. In Job 19, it tells us this, oh, that my words were written, Oh, that they were inscribed in a book, that they were engraved on a rock with an iron pen and lead forever. Job is saying, there's one thing that I want to be remembered forever. I, there's one thing that is I want to engraved with an iron pen, etched in stone. There are things carved in stone thousands of years ago that we could go and read today in the museums of the world. What the Egyptians recorded, Hammurabi's code, inscribed in stone, has stood and is still there for us to read. And what Job was saying is, I want these words to be etched in stone. He was saying something important and something significant. Before it ever happened, man did not have this hope. Man did not have this understanding, but I believe it was a declaration of faith. And God reveals us uh, this to us in his word in verse 25. He said this, For I know that my Redeemer lives, and he shall stand at last on the earth. And after my skin is destroyed, this I know that in my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold, and not another, and how my heart yearns within me. Job, by faith, looked forward to seeing his Redeemer knowing that he needed to be redeemed, knowing that he needed to be saved. And I would just encourage you this morning that the Redeemer, the daysman, has come. For God so loved the world. He loves you unconditionally. Here in his love, not that we loved God, but that he first loved us. He loves you. No matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, the devil would convince you otherwise. Some of you believe that God hates you, that God is just relishing the moment to judge you. Some of you believe that you're under the judgment of God right now, and maybe you are, but the only reason that you are is because you have not yet received his love that gave his only begotten son, and he gave, God gives his son so that you and I can be forgiven. And when you believe in that, immediately there's a transformation that takes place. Your spirit comes alive, and you will not perish. And like Job, who had that hope in him coming by faith, he received it by faith, and he will live with Christ forever. And in my, with my eyes, he knew, I will see God. And so this beautiful picture, and let me just encourage you this morning, that once again, God extends his hand from heaven down to you? And will you lift up your hand and take hold? Will you receive, will you accept what he has done? He loves you. He forgives you. Have you received the greatest gift that has ever been offered, has ever been given? That's why we come to church, to celebrate that. And through the eyes of faith, life is transformed. D.L. Moody, a wonderful evangelist, said this, one glimpse of Christ will pay For all that we are called upon to endure here. To see the king in his glory. To be in the presence of the king. What a beautiful way to say it. What a beautiful picture. Job in the midst of his hardship. In the midst of his trouble. In the midst of his difficulty. Lost his wealth. Lost his family. His children. His hope in so many ways. And yet he didn't lose his hope lost his health, and yet he still hoped, he still believed that there is a king, and the king is good, and my redeemer lives, and one day I will see him with my eyes. And though the flesh it be destroyed, how good is our God. Some of you are on a path to reach God, wondering if he's even real. Can we even know him? I'm here to tell you that God has declared himself fully in the person of his son, Jesus Christ. This is what the Bible teaches us. And in Jesus' own words in John fourteen six said, I, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life, and no man cometh unto the Father but by me. He is the only daysman that would take your hand and the hand of God and allow us through him to be brought together. And I would encourage you, if you're here this morning and you have not taken that hand, take it. Take it. Even now, Lord, I receive. I receive your love. I receive your forgiveness. I believe. I put my faith. I put my trust in you. And you will not perish, and you will have everlasting life. It's not about what you do. It's not about you being better. It's not about you trying harder. It's about what Christ has done for you. And to receive that gift, what a beautiful gift that it is. If you have not yet, I again implore you, beg of you, take the hand of your daysmen. We receive him by faith. I love that song that uh, we used to sing. It's kind of uh, an older song. I think I, I first heard it when I was in college, which was a long time ago. And it's such a beautiful statement. And really, it's, it's the gospel. You came from heaven to earth. To show the way. From the earth to the cross, my debt to pay. From the cross to the grave, he was buried for three days. Because he said no, he paid the price for the sin of the world. The wrath of God was poured out upon his son so that you and I could become the righteousness of God. Salvation is not free. It costs Jesus his life. He paid the price so that we could be free. From the cross to the grave, but three days later, what happened? From the grave, he rose. And from the grave to the sky, 40 days later, he ascended to the right hand of the Father. Lord, I lift your name on high. Jesus was our daysman. Is he your daysman? And for those of us who, he is our daysman, he's our daysman so that we can be a daysman. When Jesus ascended to heaven, it tells us that he ever lives to make intercession for us. What does that mean? Job asked in 16, Job 16, 21, Oh, that one might plead for a man with God as a man pleads for his neighbor. The Bible tells us that is what Jesus does. In Hebrews 7.25, Jesus ever lives to make intercession. God in the Son, Jesus Christ, when he ascended from the grave, went to heaven, he's praying for you and I. He's praying that the world would know. It's a powerful thing to think about And oh, that one might plead for a man with God as a man pleads for his neighbor. The devil condemns. He roams the earth like a roaring lion, wanting to devour, wanting to destroy, wanting to discourage, wanting you to give up hope, wanting you to take your life. And he has been so successful in so many cases over the years where people listen to the lies of the devil and they see no future and they see no hope. Don't go to church. God's mad at you. God hates you. You're too bad of a sinner. You've done that sin way too many times. And people despair. Don't go to church. You're going to mess up all the other perfect holy people that are there if you show up. Those are just the things I hear every day. I don't know about you. But God says, no. Jesus says, yeah, he is a sinner. He did blow it. But he's mine I died for him, and he accepted my sacrifice. And God sees us now through his eyes and through his son. I love, I was actually, when I first started, when Pastor Bob asked me to, to speak, I was actually planning on teaching on the Lord's Prayer, and I just felt like the Lord just directed, redirected me to share this message on Job. And but I love the Lord's Prayer, Our Father who art in heaven. And God is in heaven, and he came down from heaven. And then it says, hallowed be thy name. And we say, oh yeah, hallowed be the name of Jesus. Man, God, ye are so holy. The word hallowed means holy, set apart. But if it was a, a, an, an adjective or, or you know, description of a noun or, or, or a, a pronoun or something like that that is describing Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. But it's not, it's actually a verb. Hallowed be thy name. It literally says, your name makes me holy. And when you connect with that, when you understand that, you pray in a completely different way. I don't come before God because I'm worthy. I come before God because he has made me holy, he has made me acceptable, and I come in thanksgiving, and I come in gratitude. And God has revealed to us the daysman that has grabbed our hand and connected it with the hand of God so that we could be in a relationship and a fellowship with him. And he sees you as holy and as perfect and as righteous as he sees his own son. And the devil would want to convince you otherwise. Oh, that one might plead for a man with God as a man pleads for his neighbor. And so Jesus was our daysman, so that you and I could be a daysman for others. And guys, do we, if we understood the privilege that we have of prayer, it will transform your life. There are so many people, so many Christians who are discouraged in prayer. It's, it, it's the life beat of, of what the heart and the passion of God is. My house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. It's God's heart and his will and desire that we would pour out in intercession and, and, and prayer. For the world and for those who are broken and for those who are discouraged and for those who are hurting, and I will tell you my favorite meeting of the week at the church is the least attended meeting in the church. It's Wednesday morning at 8 thirty when we gather together for prayer, and people on the internet they, they send in prayer requests, and people email us, "Would you please pray and we pray and you fill out the cards, and many of you fill out the cards as you walk in when you pray for my aunt, she's this and that. And my children are the prodigal, and I need a job, and I need finances. And man, oh man, if you would just come and just the prayers that we get on a weekly basis here. And there's a team, it's a very small team, and they just have this heart and this joy and this passion. And I will tell you, you read these things, and it is burdensome, the pain and the anguish and the hurt that so many in our own church have, and let alone as we're praying for others around. And this is this burden, but then there's this amazing joy and excitement because we come before the Father, not in our own righteousness, but through the righteousness of Christ because his name makes me holy. And what we're literally doing, I just have this feeling, every time that we're there praying for these requests, that we are taking that person and just bringing them before God, grabbing them by the hand and then reaching out to the hand of God and saying, God, would you come and be present with this individual right now? And we ask for healing, and we've seen God heal, and and we ask for provision, and we ask for him to be present with us. And sometimes we hear that they were answered, sometimes we don't know. But I just believe that, regardless of how things turn out, when we just do that, there's this peace that comes. And so the burden that was so heavy and grievous, just, it actually becomes a joy and a blessing. Because we're asking God to come to bear and to be present and to reveal himself in this situation. And Oswald Chambers said this, and it's funny because I just read this yesterday. The purpose of prayer is that we get a hold of God and not of the answer. And we focus so many times on the answer. I prayed and God didn't answer, so prayer doesn't work. And we miss the whole point of it, the whole purpose of it, the whole passion of it. And so the prayer, we can let a request be made known. Lord, heal. Lord, lift the depression. Lord, provide a job. Provide income. Break the chains of bondage of alcohol or porn or, or, or addiction. Lord, heal my marriage, whatever it is. And sometimes it doesn't happen that way and we get discouraged because we think that God didn't answer prayer, but the purpose in prayer is we're just wanting to connect. Lord, would your presence come to bear? We're asking you to reveal yourself in that situation. And you think about it, the Bible tells us that in his presence, in God's presence is what? The fullness of joy. And I can be in the worst circumstances in my life, and my business is gone, and my wealth is gone, and my children are gone, and now my health is gone. But as Job declared, though he slay me, yet will I praise him. And it's real. And it's not just real for Job. It's real for you. It's real for me. And that's what we gather for. And I just, man, what things would be like if the prayer meeting was not the least attended meeting of the week, but the most. And when you find that, you find movements of God throughout history. You read about Charles Spurgeon. He's probably the most, he's considered the prince of preachers. He's quoted more by pastors and preachers than anyone else. His devotions are still read by so many people today. And it was said that Charles Spurgeon, if you were to go to his church, he would never preach without the prayer band down in the basement of his church, who on average was about 700 people in the basement praying for him while he preached. Back in, in at 9-11, I was a sheriff's chaplain, and I was asked to go out to Ground Zero. And I worked there at ground zero for a few days, and that was one of some of the heaviest times of my life. And and it was just crazy, the devastation, the loss of life, the emotion, and, and just something I'll never forget, the sights and the smells and, and that whole experience. And I remember I was just wiped out. And so I'd heard about this prayer meeting on Tuesday nights at the Brooklyn Tabernacle. And I just, just figure, oh, man, I need to go. I need to pray. I just need. And so I had no idea where I was going. There's a subway stop close. And so I get there, and I'm like an hour early. And I think, oh, cool, I got plenty of time. So I'll just go in and, uh, you know, just wait. And I've heard about the prayer meeting at the Brooklyn Tabernacle. I'm there super early, and I had to sit in the balcony. And thousands and thousands of requests come in. And Pete, that church prays. I'm telling you, I've never experienced anything like it overflow crowd of people just wanting to come and to take these burdens and to connect them, to be a dazeman and say, God, you are able to change the environment, change the circumstances, change the trajectory of life in these circumstances. And maybe you're here and you need an intervention God's hand is not too short that he cannot save. His ear is not too heavy. He's not deaf he can't, that he cannot hear. You have access. You have availability. And if that's a helpful picture for you, that when you pray for someone, you're taking their hand and you're calling out through Christ, the hand of heaven, Lord, would you just be present with them? And whether the prayer is answered or not, Lord, I know that you present there will change the environment and change the circumstances. of you know the uh, story of our son. He, He passed away eight days shy of his 15th birthday. And I will tell you that I prayed for God's healing upon my son every day of his life. And the Lord decided to heal him differently than I was hoping, but he healed him by taking him home. And it's that presence and that peace of knowing that God is present and God hears and God cares that that changes the environment and allows us to persevere through the difficult times and the difficult circumstances in our life. If you have any thoughts of despair and hopelessness that you want to end your life, I will tell you that is not the voice of God. That is not the heart of God. That is a lie of the devil. And he is attacking so many people today. And we need to battle. We need to battle, church. We need to counter that. You need to counter, you need to intercede for the prodigals. You need to intercede. God, you're just asking him to bear. You can't fix him. You can't change your heart, but God can. Is there anything too hard for God? There is nothing too hard for God, nothing whatsoever. We need to be a daysman in prayer. I've shared this story, the, the, the last two services, and, and uh, my favorite cousin, Sam, um, His dad, Max, my dad's cousin, was a young man working up in LA. Los Angeles County used to own a bunch of orchards and groves, and so he worked for the county, and and his job was to to drive this big, it looked like a caterpillar truck, and it had a big old chemical tank on on the back, and he would go driving through these groves and spray them with pesticides, and so some of them are up on some crazy mountains, and there's not many groves left in LA County, but it used to be everywhere, and... He's not even, maybe 20 years old, and he's driving this truck, and he's coming down one of those windy dirt roads, and the brakes went out on the truck. And he made a couple of the turns, but too much speed and too much weight, and off the road, and he wakes up, and that chemical truck is upside down on top of him, and the spout where they put the chemicals in was sitting right here on his belly, and the whole truck of the chemicals drained through his body, his body was crushed. They took him to. They were amazed that he even lived, and they took him to the hospital. And they just loaded him up with morphine and told his mom, "There's nothing we can do for him. He's going to die. We'll just make him comfortable." His one of his kidneys was completely crushed, flat as a pancake. His right leg bone was completely crushed to powder. The weight of that was so severe. Uh, his back was broken. He was a mess. Body systems all poisoned from these chemicals, and they just kept loading him up with morphine. Just make him comfortable. He's going to die, but he didn't die. And it wasn't like he started getting better. He was in so much pain and, and he became a, addicted to the morphine and, but, and he just w- wouldn't die. And the one kidney that didn't get crushed, the poison was so severe, it was filled with, he had a bunch of stones in, the, in that good kidney. They're like thinking, well, this guy isn't dying. He's miserable. They told him, you'll never walk. You'll never have children. You know, we'll just try and make you comfortable. He's just going to live in chronic pain. And so he's supposed to meet with the doctor. To They're going to do a procedure on the kidney to try and bring some relief from all those stones that he was having. But his mom was a Christian. He was not. And she kept inviting him to church, and he wouldn't go. He wouldn't go. And so finally he goes to church with her one night, and the pastor preaches a message. And at the end of the service, he shares with him, we're going to have prayer for any of you who need it. And, uh, you know... Um, the Bible says, "Are any among you cheerful? Sing songs." In, in James five, are any among you sick? Call for the elders of the church; have them anoint you with oil in the name of the Lord. The prayer of faith will save the sick. If you've committed any sins, you'll be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another. Pray for one another that you may be healed. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. And so, he called for people to come forward for prayer at the end of the service, and so many people came. And Max is sitting in the very back of the church in his wheelchair. And he didn't have anyone to take him forward. And so the pastor realized there's a lot of people that wanted prayer. And he said, you know, uh, there's a lot of people who want prayer and, and uh, it's God who, who can heal you. And so if you need prayer, I'm going to pray for all of us right now. And I would just encourage you to put your hand on whatever is, is you need prayer in your body or your mind or whatever it is. And, uh, and we'll pray for you. And, and so the pastor starts to pray. And Max, who was not a Christian, just said, uh, God, uh, you know, It's broken. And I can't move my arm to touch that, but I would just pray that you would put your healing hand on me. And he says that in that instant, he felt electricity from the top of his head to the tips of his toes and back through his body. And he didn't know what happened. He believed that he was healed, but he didn't know. And so the next morning, he goes to the doctor and he meets with the doctor that's going to look at the, the good kidney that had the stones. He says, Yeah, Max, we're going to, you know, we need to do something to remove these. And he takes another x ray. And the doctor comes back and he's got this startled look on his face. He says, Max, something happened. Uh, you know, we got some shadows on the x ray and, and uh, we got to retake that because it's just a different picture. Something happened. So the doctor takes another x ray and he comes back in and is. Eyes are as wide open as they could ever be, and he said, Max, what happened? And he told them the story. I went to church last night, and the pastor said to pray, and I prayed, and I had the electricity go from the top of my head to the tips of my toes. And the doctor said, God healed you. Amen. I'm not, I'm not making this up. The one kidney that was smashed as flat as a pancake was normal. The one kidney that had the stones, there was no stones. In addition, God gave him a brand new kidney. He had three kidneys, one perfectly new one. That bone that was crushed to powder, they x-rayed it. it was, they said that we've never seen anything like this. When we x-ray that bone, it's so thick and so strong, it's like a rod of iron. The light doesn't even pass through the bone. The man who was told you'll never have children, you'll never walk, they're in the doctor's office because he just didn't, didn't really know what was going on, just stood up and walked. I'm not making this up. He, has, he had four children. He has grandchildren. He now has great-grandchildren. He has a beautiful ranch up in, uh, in Oregon now. And, uh, yeah. The purpose of prayer is to get a hold of God not of the answer. And when you get a hold of God, something changes. And it may not be perfect and a complete healing like Max, but God can do it. The arm of the Lord, he, there's nothing too hard for our God. There's nothing too hard for him. We have a daysman that came down to grab a hold of us so that we could be with him forever. And this daysman wants us as we walk through this life to be a daysman for others in prayer. God loves to hear his children pray. My house shall be called a house of prayer. And one more before we close. We are to be a a daysman in prayer, but as we dive deeper into Job, you just have to know his amazing heart. And I would just say this. I believe that his success, his prosperity, and his fruitfulness was not an accident. Yes, it was God who hedged him in, But Job had some living to do. Job had some things that he needed to take care of. There was work for Job to do. And Job tells us what his work was all about and what his heart was all about and what his passion is all about. And I believe that this is the heart that God desires for you and I to have in this day and age. In Job 29, in verse 12, it says, because I delivered the poor who cried out, the fatherless and the one who had no helper. The blessing of a perishing man came upon me and I caused the widow's heart to sing for joy. There are many people who will never go to the hospital to visit someone who's suffering greatly. They just won't go there. It's too heavy, I don't wanna be there. Some people will never be around a person who's dying. It's just too hard to think about. I will tell you, man, right now, Pastor Willie's dad, uh, Floyd, is back in the hospital Pastor Floyd, I don't know, we don't know how long. He's ready to go to heaven. He sees his Redeemer. I know my Redeemer lives. I want to go stand with him, but he's still here. And we pray for Floyd and Arliss, Willie's, Pastor Willie's uh, mom and dad. My dad is in the hospital this morning. He's a pastor as well, and he's got pneumonia, and I'm going to go see him right after this. And, and he's ready to go. He knows he's going to be with Jesus. He knows his Redeemer lives. Lonnie Carter, we love Lonnie. She's out there at the welcome table all the time. And, and she's at the hospital this morning with her son, Jonathan. And we don't know if he's going to make it or not. But there's still a hope and there's still a joy. And you know, a lot of times it's, I can't go there. I don't want to go there. I don't want to think about it. But Job was a man with a heart who just says, you know what? The people are dying. And I'm going to be with them. And people, let me just say this the world is dying. And we have the opportunity to be with him. We have the opportunity to speak life and hope when there is no hope. And there's a blessing there. The blessing of the perishing man came upon me and I caused the widow's heart to sing for joy. widow has no one to watch out for and protect her. And there's people in your life that God wants to use you to be his hands and his feet in their life. Verse 14, Job's blessings were not a mistake. I put on righteousness, and it clothed me. He took on the daisman's righteousness. It's him who made me holy. I didn't make myself holy. I boast not in my own righteousness and my own goodness, but in Christ. I'm a sinner saved by grace. Hallelujah. And that's what Job declared. And that was his blessing. And that's what we need to live out and declare to this dying world. My justice was like a robe and a turban. He wasn't ashamed of the fact that God, he knew, knew he's a sinner, but God made him right. I was eyes to the blind and I was feet to the lame and I was a father to the poor and I searched out the case that I did not know and I broke the fangs of the wicked and I plucked the victim from his teeth. We have a world around us that is dying. And we can be a daysman by sharing the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ and snatching people out of the fangs of the evil one who has lied to them, who has deceived them. And that's why we are here on this earth. Job had a heart of compassion because God had compassion on him. And he was compelled to give that compassion away. And that's who God wants you and I to be. Paul said it, and as we wrap things up, in 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 16, therefore from now on we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him thus no longer. We always look at people and you know, who they are and what they do and whatnot, and, and, and we should see things from a different perspective. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Don't be a slave to your past any longer. If you are in Christ, he has forgiven it. He's forgotten it. Let go of it and walk forward in the newness of life that he calls us all to. And now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That... That is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, not counting your sin against you. And he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. You see what we've been given. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. That we might become the righteousness of God. We have a daysman so that we could take the hand of God. And in our prayers, we can help others to take the hand of God. And God desires that we would use our brief time here on earth to help others take the hand of God. He says there, in verse 20 of 2 Corinthians 5, we are Christ's ambassadors. When I was in college, one of my roommates, his grandfather was a man by the name of Edwin O. Reischauer. Edwin O. Reischauer, they called him Eeyore for short, was the United States ambassador to Japan after World War II. He is a national hero in Japan. He's responsible. They, they give him credit for rebuilding the economy of Japan and, and helping him to be, uh, and adopt capitalism and, and whatnot. And an imperialist didn't like him. He later tried to assassinate him, he stabbed him, and he ended up getting sick from that. But he still fulfilled his term. And here he is. He's a citizen of the United States of America. He was a Harvard professor. And, and, but he's living in Japan. And he's representing the government of the United States of America to the people of Japan. And he had a prosperous and a successful career. And then one day they called him home and said, Eeyore, well done. Come home. And he had a beautiful home there in La Jolla, right on the the cliffs, and enjoyed the ocean, and he'd go to Harvard and lecture and live out his days. You and I, this is not our home. Heaven is our home. This planet, this place where we are at is at war with the government of heaven. But he has sent us to be his peace emissaries. To bring reconciliation. The daysman has come and we reach out and we call out. That is why we're here. You know, I so wanted Jesus to come back in 2019. Lord, come. Tired. Want to see my son. Want to see you. I'm so glad he didn't come because in the very first appointment of 2020, here in the officer and I had been meeting with a gal and she's uh, struggling in her marriage. And, and then she's really concerned about her daughter who's just a freshman in college and wanting to take her life despair and hopelessness. She said, would you meet with her? So we meet with her, and and first time I'd ever met the gal, and, and we shared the gospel, the love of Jesus Christ, and this gal, I said, have you ever heard this in your entire life? She says, I've never heard this. I said, would you like to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? She said, yes, I would. And she accepted Christ. Prayed the prayer. She said, I've never prayed this prayer in my entire life. And I'm telling you, when she said amen, I looked at her face and it was a different young woman. And I said, can I just ask you, what are you feeling right now? And she said, for the first time in my life, clarity. That's why we're here, people. That's why we're here. The love of God, the heart of God, and he wants you and I to be days men. His hands, his ambassadors, not representing ourself, but representing him, and some of you are in a place of great difficulty and hardship and trial, and, and you think God has left you, but he's with you. And the devil wants you to believe that you're all alone. He doesn't care, he doesn't hear, he doesn't see. He is with you. He's a, just. He's with you. He's here in such a beautiful way. And so, Father in heaven, thank you for your word. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for Job and his story, and I see why. Victor Hugo just wanted this story, if you could only have one with him. What a beautiful story that it is, Lord. And a reminder, Lord, that there is a dazeman betwixt us, so thankful, Lord, that you died to save us. And if there's anyone here, even now, this morning, now afternoon, and you've never lifted your hand to the Lord in faith, I would just encourage you, raise your hand, say, Lord, save me. Lord, save me. Just lift your hand and say, Lord, I receive your love. I receive your forgiveness. Fill me. Come into my heart in faith. Just the simplicity of faith. Lord, save me. That's between you and the Father. And if you pray that prayer, that's what he came to do. So you say, I accept what you came to do on my behalf. Thank you, Father. You just receive it. Lord, there's some here who need you. I pray, Father God, for... My brothers and sisters for every person that's here even that'll hear this message later online or whatever God may the hand of heaven touch Lord there are some who need to be delivered from alcohol from depression from anxiety from prescription meds there are some here whose marriage is broken and they husband and wife hate each other there are wars between kids and parents represented here God, would you just be present? Would you just come and be present and may you begin to change the environment and change the circumstances in families, Lord? There are some who need income, who need provision. There are some who've lost the vision for why they do what they do. Lord, would you just give new vision? Would you direct and guide? Lord, may all of us fall in love with prayer the privilege of what it is and the access that we have and the ability that we have, Lord, to invite you, the God who made heaven and earth and all things in it, to change the environment and the outlook and the perspective. We look to you, Father. Thank you for your love for us. and Lord, may the love that you have for this world fill our hearts that we might be days men, Lord, to reach this world. May we understand our commission as an ambassador of Jesus Christ. May we live to one day hear you and you alone say well done, good and faithful. May we stop living to please men, stop living to live a life of comfort or convenience, and may we take what you've given us, be it our life, be it our time, be it our resources, be it who we are, to bring life to others. May we not think of our reputation. May we not think to live to make everyone like us. It's a futile process anyway, because everyone's too busy thinking about themselves. Lord, may we live to please you and honor you. And may we give away what you've given us for the glory and the honor and the praise of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.
0: Amen. Thanks for joining the Horizon Church Podcast. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast channel. And if this message has blessed you, please share it either directly or on social media. If you live in the San Diego area, we'd love to have you join us at a weekend service or to catch our live stream, visit horizon.org slash live every Sunday at nine and 11 a.m. Pacific. If you'd like to learn more or partner with us, simply go to horizon.org. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. We'll see you next time.